Good morning, City Church. Thank you for joining us online this morning. We are in part three of our series that we have called Battle Ready. But before we dive in this morning, you know, in my message last week, I talked about this very famous uh, Rembrandt painting that displayed to us Jesus uh, on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. And what I just wanted to remind all of us in this time in the world, you know, some of us might be doing great and others of us might not be doing so well. But what we are as a church is we are a family, that we should pray for one another and be thinking about one another in this time. So let's just take a moment and pray for our church family today. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, that you are in the boat with us that you have said to us that we can go to the other side, that we can go to the other side of the season of life, that we can go to the other side of this situation. God, we just thank you that you never leave us or forsake us, that you are always with us. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, for your healing power in this moment. God, we know that your healing power is greater than any disease. We just thank you that for that today. God, we just thank you, Lord, for this morning. As we are ministering your word, we thank you, Lord, for grace and light for the listeners and grace upon the speaking. We thank you for that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I know all of you are at home this morning, so go ahead and grab your paper Bible or a secondary device where you can turn to the scriptures. As we go to any of the scriptures in our messages, we are expecting God to be speaking to us, so go ahead and do that this morning. All right, like I said, this is part three of a series that we have called Battle Battle Ready, and every week we've been taking our battle position, even though my daughters don't like the battle position that I take. So even though you are at home, go ahead and stretch out your hands a little bit, and let's get ready for our battle position, our shadow boxing position. All right. Uh, Week one, we talked about this idea that we need to resist the enemy. And we're going to be reading some of these scriptures again. And we want to be tactical. We want to be aware of what the enemy is doing because the enemy is doing things in very subtle ways. Uh, Last week, we talked about the battle for our thoughts. And this is where the battle lies. So many of the times, the thoughts that we think, and we have to ask ourselves the question, are thoughts having me? Or am I having a thought? Am I thinking about what I'm thinking about? Because my thoughts don't just uh, stay there. They become the words I say. They become the actions that I take. So our thoughts are very important. Our thoughts can dominate our lives in a negative way. But what we want to do is we want to take in the word of God. And like we talked about, we gave the illustration. We want to curate good thoughts in our mind. We don't want to allow bad thinking to hang around in our mind. We want to lean into the Word of God. What is is God saying to us? What are the promises of God? What are the thoughts of God? And those are the thoughts that I want to think. I want to have a value structure that we talked about last week in Philippians, um, how we're supposed to think on things that are true and excellent and holy and anything worthy of praise that we should think on those things. And those things will be a place of strength for us. So as we say, you know, we do have an enemy. We have an enemy of our soul, the Scripture says. And the enemy is subtle. The scripture says he's a deceiver, he's an accuser, and all of these things that we, that we would think about the enemy, you know, he's not all-powerful, he can't just go around and kill you. But what he can do is use our thinking against ourselves, and thinking in the world, and attitudes, and thoughts in the world, and all of those things can come against us. The enemy's not walking down the street with a red suit on and red makeup and a big tail and horns on his head. 
He is subtle, and he wants to distract us. He wants us to get us, uh, our lives on anything but God. Anything but worshiping God, loving God, loving people. He, he wants, uh, the scripture says that we're not fighting against flesh and blood, that people are not our problem. There's these influences in the world, and they are influencing people's thinking, and they are influencing things that are happening and so we don't want to be deceived in this present time, the issues that we are facing, that the church in every season in history has faced very specific things. And we should be wise enough to know what those things are so we don't fall prey to the enemy's tactics. And like I've been saying, you know, we've already missed the enemy's perfect will for our lives. If we are a follower of Jesus, if we've said yes to Jesus, we've already missed out on what the devil has for us, thank God. Now, plan B then for the enemy is just to think, well, okay, I'm just going to wait for eternity now. And, and what, we're, what we can do is we can live innocuous, useless, meaningless lives by being distracted by everything. And there's a lot of things to be distracted about. So the enemy doesn't care what we're distracted with as long as we are distracted from doing the will of God. And like I said, here's a, a few different areas that we've been talking about that we need to be aware of of what's happening in the world today. That the enemy is coming against identity, identity as a complete thing. And see, what God wants for us is to have our identity in Christ, that we are a son and a daughter of God, that we shouldn't be deceived by modern philosophies, by thinking identity in some other thing is better than an identity in Christ, or being a son and a daughter of God. And these are the subtle tactics of the enemy. The enemy wants our focus to be distracted. Once again, on anything, worship anything except God. Have something else be the primacy in my life except God himself, our creator and our savior. Worship stuff, worship ideas. There is an, uh, an all-out assault on the family. The family's not that important. The family's not that big deal. We see, you know, the breakdown of the family in our culture right now. Families are so very important. They're important for us to be discipling our children so our children will know God. The other thing is that the enemy wants to misdirect our passions, that we would be selfish instead of serving, that Jesus came not to be served but to serve, and he is our greatest example. So we're going to find some purpose in that, and then the enemy just wants us to be distracted by those things. So like I said, we are in a fight we need to know that we're in a fight, or we need to be getting ready for a fight. There's always a fight going on. But here's the good news is Jesus has already won the fight. The Holy Spirit is our helper in the fight. And so I'm living from this place of victory, not trying to attain victory, but in Christ I already have victory, and I'm living from that place. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 says this. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold on eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So what is the good fight that we are fighting? It is the fight of faith. And that doesn't mean we're fighting against God. But what the fight is is that to remain in this place of faith. What does it mean to be in a place of faith? It means to be in a relationship with God. That God is our Father, we see ourselves as a child, and then, again, the fight is to get us off of that, off of that place of faith in God. Take hold on eternal life. And then it says that you would make a good confession 
the words that we say in the presence of many witnesses. And that's what's great, again, about a church family. That the things that we're saying, the faith that we are affirming in our lives, that we are walking with our brothers and sisters in Christ in this same fight. Again, the fight is not against people. It's against the rulers and principalities and powers and thoughts of the enemy. But we are together saying these things, that we are fighting the fight of faith, and we're saying these in the context of our relationships with each other. So this is the strategy that the enemy has. Let's also read here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We talked about this last week, that anxiety, fear, is a thought. And that's all that it is. But once again, those fears and thoughts can control our lives, can control our decisions, can diminish our emotions. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to cast all of these anxieties, all of these thoughts, onto the Lord. Why? Because He cares for me. Listen to the next verse. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, you have an adversary, you have someone fighting against you, and it's not God. God is good. The enemy is fighting against you. He wants you to quit. He wants you to give up. He wants you to be discouraged. So we need to be aware of what the enemy is doing. That I would be sober-minded, that I would be watchful. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Verse 9, resist him, firm in your faith. So this place of resistance that we have comes from our relationship with God. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, that's a really great verse. Because sometimes we think, when we're going through stuff, I'm the only one facing this. But you have to know that the stuff that you are facing is the same thing other people are facing. We are all facing the same adversary. So don't be, woe is me, my problems are worse than everybody else's problems. No, people are going through the same stuff. But thank God we have the same Savior. And we can resist Him firm in our faith. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, as we've been talking about different types of fights previously, I talked about all of the different type of fights that I would do with my dad. Not actual fights, just wrestling and play, boxing, and, you know, our ping-pong battles that we used to have together. Now, I don't know about there, if you've ever played paintball. Now, I've had a couple opportunities to play paintball. I don't necessarily recommend it if you're not, you know, that competitive, but this was really great for me. I'm a super competitive person, so I really loved playing paintball. I played once when I was young here at home, and I went to Bible school in the States, and a bunch of us got together, and we decided to go play paintball. Now, in the States, paintball, or at this time, paintball was like a whole other level, which would be true about guns in the States in general. That's another topic of discussion. But their paintball was next level. It was like machine gun paintball, and these big hoppers of paint, and just so much, like, and the, the places that we were playing, it was just crazy how well set up this place was. And when, when you go and play paintball, just in case you are ever going to go, and what you're going to do is you're going to get on a team. And before you go fight the battle with this other team, they, there's different places where you're going to play. Sometimes it's up on a hill, and you're going up a hill, and there, or you're at the top of the hill, or there's some, like, buildings that you're going to play in. 
But before you go into battle, that you get together with your team. And you being together with your team and working together with your team is so very important. You need to be on the same page. Because if one person thinks, oh, we're, this is going to be our strategy, and then you know, someone else is thinking, well, this is our strategy. And then when you don't have the same strategy, you can end up fighting on your team. And we all know that this is a really bad thing to have infighting on the team. If you've ever watched any pro- professional sports, you know if you ever hear any rumors about infighting on the team, you're kind of like, this team is done. Why? Because unity on a team is so very important. We're going to feel it this summer, you know, during the Olympics. Every time we go and, and we compete in the Olympics, especially a few years ago when we had the Winter Olympics here in Canada, there was so much unity in our nation. Even if we weren't a sports fan, we, in that moment, we were all Canadian. And then this summer when we are going to be in the Olympics, and we're going to be cheering for people that we don't even know, that we actually probably will never meet. But what are we feeling with it? We are feeling a sense of unity and their strength in unity, and see, this is what the enemy wants to fight against. And this is something we can observe in the world today. The enemy wants people to hate each other, wants people to go against each other, wants to create a bunch of different fights and a bunch of different factions of this going on, and this group doesn't like this group, and this group doesn't, and this is the story of history. And the enemy sets all of these fights up and sets all of these thoughts up so that there will be disunity among mankind itself, and then disunity in countries, and then disunity in neighborhoods, and then disunity in homes. This is what the enemy is constantly fighting with, this idea of disunity, division. He wants to divide people, wants people to be against people. And this is our current cultural milieu that we are I got to find out who the people we are against we got to know for sure who we are against and it's so easy in this time that it's just really easy to criticize and this is the spirit of the age the spirit of the age is criticism it's not about honoring people it's about how can I criticize the one little area that I disagree with you on I'll make sure I put that online so that we can have our disagreement and our criticism of each other we can have it go public so that we're not going to honor each other this is going to be disunity everywhere all the time. And it's just commonplace. And honor has gone out the window. Unity has gone out the window. And what we should do as believers is we should sit back and observe that this is happening. And ask ourselves, we need to be thinking about what we're thinking about. Is, is this me? Is this what I'm doing? This is one of the enemy's tactics, division. That we can sit back and observe and think to ourselves, what is the gospel solution to this problem? How can I bring the gospel? How can I bring Jesus' uh, principles from the scripture? How can I bring that to this moment? Or how, if I were to step into this situation, what is a gospel solution here? Or we're just going to fight the battle just like everybody else. And we're just going to criticize just like everybody else and have no honor just like everybody else and be divisive just like everybody else. But no, God wants us to be unity. is such a, such a strong thing. James chapter 4, verse 7 says this. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I'm of two minds. That's what division means, that you see two visions or you're thinking two different things. But it's very interesting verse here in verse 8. Draw near to God, 
and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, double-mindedness can move us away from the principles of God, can move us away from God. And our mission statement is all about moving people closer to Jesus. Double-mindedness. Well, you know, am I thinking this or am I thinking this? Or am I just thinking, oh, what does the scripture tell me? What are the ancient ways of God? What has God shown me in his word? What is the wisdom that I can see in the scripture? Or am I thinking there's some brand new solution that somebody just discovered last year? And I'm of two minds. We don't want to be double-minded. Listen, also another portion of scripture from the book of James, verse 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let, it, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Thank God that God gives us wisdom. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea and is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded Two minds have division, unstable in all his ways. This is what double-mindedness does. Division does. And if we're smart, we can look out in the world and see division. What does it do? It produces instability. And I don't want to be part of this instability. I actually want to have the strength from God in this moment. And we need to know that this is one of the tactics of the enemy's division. You know, growing up in church, I've seen uh, people divide from each other in church over the stupidest things, fighting about stuff that doesn't need to be fought about. I heard one story, this is another church somewhere that doesn't necessarily deal with something happened here, the city church, but there was somebody super upset that their, their church had a, a balcony, and in their balcony, you know, was warmer in the balcony. Now, if you know anything about air, the hot air rises. So generally speaking, it's probably going to be hotter in any church balcony. And they were so upset. They made this really big deal about it's so hot in the balcony. And they were so upset. And, you know, the, the, the church staff tried to respond to them and say, well, you know, if you came a little bit earlier, you wouldn't have to sit in the balcony. You could sit downstairs where it's a little bit cooler. And over the heat in the balcony, they left their church. Double-minded division. These small little things that the enemy is putting in our mind for me to separate from somebody else. And we have to be aware of his tactics. We see this here. Jesus talks about this. The religious leaders were accusing Jesus of casting out the devil or demons using the power of the devil. And this is how Jesus responded. Mark chapter 3. Verse 22, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He casts out demons. And he called to them, and he said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a kingdom is divided against itself, can't stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan rises up against Satan, against himself, he is divided. He cannot stand, but he is coming to an end. And here is the principle. A king divided, a house divided can't stand. Are we aware? Can we see out in the world the tactics of the enemy? 
that there is division everywhere. And we can just look at people and think, well, people are the problem. This person is the problem. But once again, this is a tactic of the enemy. Am I just living life like this? Because once again, if we even look at the home, our home or somebody else's home or homes we've observed, where there's division in a home, can't stand. There's division in a community, division in a church, division in the nation. These tactics, the enemy is just taking, and it's happening all around the world. It's happening right now. We can look at it throughout history. And we need to ask ourselves, is this the mode of being that I should take on? Should I just be a divisive person? We all need to be unified in our battle fighting division. Romans chapter 16, verse 17 says this, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for yourself, for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that they have been taught. Avoid them. There are so many things about division uh, in the New Testament, in, in the pastoral epistles, talking about avoiding people, talking about church discipline for people who would cause division in the church. And we all know this. We know it's a very evil thing. It's a tactic of the enemy. So our fight should be the fight to create unity in our homes. To be a person, a unifying person. Because there's strength in unity that I'm unifying in the church, I'm unifying in the home. I'm not taking on these tactics of the enemy to divide myself from other people. See, if we fight each other as the church, as believers, we are useless to the world. And we can see this. We have seen this. Churches fighting each other. Calling out other things and this and that. And there's a fight in the church and the world is looking on at us and thinking, why would I actually want to be a part of this family? They just fight each other. So we don't want to partake of that spirit. We don't want to be double-minded. We don't want to be divisive. We don't want to be thinking two different things. That we want to be unified in Christ. See, we are called as the family of God, to be undivided under the love of God, under the gospel, under the banner of Jesus. And there is so much strength in that. Under the umbrella of the story that God is telling, God wants to tell his story to every generation. But if we fall prey to the tactics of the enemy and to be divisive and be double-minded and be dividing from other people. See, the gospel is all about bringing people together. The gospel is about us being reconciled to God and reconciled to one another with avenues and ways to do that called forgiveness. So this is what God is calling us as believers. This is Jesus' prayer here in John chapter 17. This whole chapter is Jesus praying. And if you're wondering about prayers or things you could pray or the spirit of prayer, man, this is a great chapter to read. John chapter 17, verse 9. It says this, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. Jesus talking about his disciples and he's praying to God that his disciples are God's. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, 
which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. There's no division in the Godhead. Jesus is not divided from God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said, the works that I do, this is what God is telling me to do. I'm not doing this on my own. The things that I, I saying, I'm seeing these things that God does. There's no division in the Godhead. There should be no division in the church. Even though we might think differently about certain issues in the world, what are we coming together under? We're coming together under the banner of the gospel, the good news, the love of God, the family of God. The gospel brings unity. Even if you think about, we call this a community of faith, community. That's the whole point about any community. That there's unity in the coming together. And what are we coming together under the banner? It's not a political banner. It's the banner of Christ. And this is how he wants us to live our lives. This is his desire for us. This is what he prayed. That we would have unity. Psalm 133 verse 1 says this, Behold how good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell in unity. It is like a precious oil on the head running down on the beard. On the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountain of Zion's court. There, the Lord has commanded the blessing. Where? In the place of unity. In the place where we come together in unity. I had a great conversation with a few pastors the other week, and we were just talking about some of these issues that we're all seeing in the world. And we actually have a goal to come together, even though we come from different places and different churches and different backgrounds, we have a goal to come together and have some great discussions so that we can help in these areas to uh, fight back against some of the things that are happening in culture. And then it was just such a great conversation. The Lord commands a blessing there where we come together in unity. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says this, For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves are free, and they were all made to drink of one spirit. One. That we come together in Christ. That we come together in the Holy Spirit. Even though we're different. Even though there's many of us. Why? Because there's a strong house that has unity, and that needs to be the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. We're not going to be divisive. What are we going to do? We're going to care about each other. Here is the antidote for divisiveness double-mindedness. It is this heart for each other. See, and this is why the community of faith, the church, the family of God can be the example that the world needs. What are we doing? We're coming together under the banner of Christ and we are caring about each other's not divisions. We're not focusing on our differences. We're focusing on the gospel. The gospel has brought us together. He has redeemed us. 
He's brought us together and how we can now we are going to care for each other. We're going to care for each other just like families. Last verse is this morning, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, so if there any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. What does the same mind mean? Does that mean we think the exact same thing about every issue in the world, or we would have the same opinion about everything that's going on in the world? No. We have the same mind. Let's see how the same mind thing plays out in the family of God. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. And then that's the opportunity to serve. That I have care for you. It's not a division in the church. And we have care for each other. How do we have the same mind? I'm not, I'm not living out of selfish ambition. I'm not just living for me. But humbly, I'm counting others more significant than myself. And then that is the place of service. That is the place of unity in Christ. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. There's unity in that. See, and all of us creating a, a community that does that brings honor to people. That's what the family of God does. When we get to meet in person, when we get to be in this room together, we have greeters and we have people saying hi to other people. What are we doing? We're honoring people. When we, we, when we serve in the kids' ministry, what are we doing? We're honoring the kids. When we're serving the students, what are we doing? We're honoring the students. When we serve as a church, what are we doing? We're bringing honor, not divisiveness, not division, but this care for each other, not living from selfishness or arrogance or envy, but under this powerful gospel mindset that we can be a city in the city, that we can be an example of what the world needs to see because the world is divided and continuing to divide and subdivide and divide even more. But we, we can be a different community. We can be the vision that God has for the world. We can be the example. We can be the proverbial city on the hill as the city church. Serving each other, honoring each other, being unified together. And I tell you, friends, it is worth the fight. Let's just pray today. Father God, we are so thankful for your word today. God, we purpose to be people of unity. We purpose not to divide from the body of Christ or divide from my friends or to be divisive. That we are all made to drink of one spirit. That we are one in Christ. God, I pray, Lord, that you are bringing us together to love each other and serve each other. That we can be an example. That we can be an example of unity. We just thank you, Lord, for the strength of the gospel. God, we just pray that you help us as the city church. 
be an example of this. That we can love each other, that we can love the city. That we can be an example of what the world needs to see. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you are watching this morning or you're watching a rebroadcast of this message and you have never taken a first step by saying yes to Jesus, God actually wants you to be unified with himself. See, our sin puts us at odds with God. And we can't make a way to God on our own with our own goodness and our own religion. That God has come down to us in Christ. Jesus came, the gospel, the good news. As Jesus came, he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. God raised him from the dead, and he did all of this so we could have a relationship with God for ourselves, that we could be unified with God in Christ. So I'm going to pray a prayer here in a second. I invite you to pray along with me. It's just a first step in your relationship with God. So let's all bow our heads and close our eyes today. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. And you raised him from the dead. So I could know you. So I thank you for your righteousness. I say yes to a relationship with you. I turn from my own ways. God, today I call you my father. Jesus, I call you my Lord. I thank you for salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.